0: All right, open your Bibles, please, to First Peter chapter 1. We're continuing in our series, Called Out, Sent In, where we're exploring the book of First Peter. I've got a question for you. Local church, St. Pete, are you ready? There is a new future filled with favor beyond your wildest imagination, and it's yours. There's a new identity filled with purpose and meaning, that is yours to walk out. And there's a new promise established by God himself that is yours to rest in and return to again and again. But what difference should all of this make in our lives? Well, Peter explains the difference, and he invites us to walk in it. Let's explore it together here in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And we'll pause there. Three things I pray we see here this morning. One, the difference a new future makes. Two, the difference a new identity makes. And three, the difference a new promise makes. First, the difference a new future makes. And we see this in verse 13, where we're exhorted, therefore preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. You know, in light of the long-awaited-for promise of salvation spoken of by the Old Testament prophets for your sake, In light of that long-awaited-for salvation that was announced to you through the good news about Jesus, remember we just learned about that before this passage, in light of all that, therefore, Peter says, set your hope fully or firmly or completely. In other words, place your confident expectation, because that's what hope is, place your confident expectation on the favor and the kindness, that's what grace is place your confident expectation on the favor and kindness that will be yours at a particular time in history, at the revelation or the unveiling or the coming of Jesus, Jesus the king, the anointed one. And as Peter says this, church, I want you to picture not so much the return of someone who's been absent, but the unveiling of someone who has always been there. How do we let this reality The reality of what will be, the reality of Jesus, the revelation of who he is, and what will be, the grace that will be ours at the revelation of Jesus, how do we let that shape our life right now, in the present? So the problem is that we look to the future and we don't have hope. And that can be easy in this day and age. We look at the news and we're like, oh my. What a day, what a week, what a month, what a year. And we, we, this crippling fear and anxiety can fill our hearts and our minds. And not to mention your own personal trials and tribulation and suffering and the darkness that we all face individually. But what Peter is saying is your present trial, it might be dark, but your future is bright. And the brightness of what will be has actually already begun to spill into the present When Jesus, our King, physically arrives on the scene again, there will be no punishment left for us. For those who have by faith put their whole hope and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, there is no punishment left for us. The divine just wrath of God was spent on Jesus on the cross that we might be forgiven That our sins might be forgiven. He's dealt with our sin. And we will experience a renewal unlike anything we can dream up. The renewal of all things. You are setting your hope somewhere. We all are. Peter says, set your hope here. And let your imagination run wild for a few minutes here. Because it's going to be better than anything you and I can dream up. Seriously. Seriously. What are you looking forward to in life? Truly, what are you looking forward to? What are you longing for? Some of you might say, well, I can't wait to graduate college. Uh, Some of you might say, I can't wait to be married. Others, I can't wait to have kids. And others, I can't wait for the kids to move out. But listen, to set your hope fully is like that graduate who has completed all of her requirements, and she's just waiting for graduation day with eager expectation and joy. Or maybe it's like a groom waiting for the doors in the back of the church to swing open, revealing his bride. Or maybe it's like driving home to see your family that you haven't seen in a long time. Or maybe it's like the moments leading up to the birth of your child. Eager expectation. It's knowing that every wrong will be made right and what is broken will be made whole. That's what we have to look forward to. Peter's saying, place your hope there. The grace that will be given to you at the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. So check it out. Friends who are ravaged by disease and racked with pain will be restored and made new. Injustice Suffering, pain, even death itself will meet their end. The rainbow after the storm, it's shouting it. The long embrace of forgiveness after an argument, it's shouting it. Your salvation in Christ Jesus now, having been made new, is shouting it. There's a day coming. There's grace that we will receive at the unveiling of Jesus that's beyond comprehension. So is there an I-can't-wait attitude as you consider these things? Peter wants there to be. I want there to be for myself and for you. Look at what John says, 1 John chapter 3, because Peter's not the only one with this kind of expectation at the unveiling of Jesus. Look what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. No, I'm sorry. And what, yeah, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. There will be a transformation that takes place. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. And then... Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he writes, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's this eager expectation, not only in Peter, but in John and in Paul, the New Testament authors, of what will be. Here's a new future for us. It's incorruptible, imperishable, it's guarded, it's kept in heaven for you. Oh, there's so much in store. And this involves preparing your minds for action, Peter says. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action, or literally, it means girding up the loins of your mind, which is maybe one of the strangest phrases I've ever said. <laughs> girding up the loins of your mind. There, I said it again. But the, I, the idea here is, is, again, it's taken from that ancient story of Israel. The night of their exodus out of Egypt, they were to be ready ready with their cloak tucked into their belt as they ate the Passover meal. And so when you gird up the loins of your mind, you are ready to run. You're ready to move. You're ready to receive. In other words, there's no room for indifference or inaction. Gird up the loins of your minds. Prepare your minds for action. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus actually uses the same imagery Uh, of girding up the loins of your mind to communicate the kind of lifestyle of those who are living for the kingdom of God and waiting for the return of Jesus. Look with me in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Stay dressed for action. There it is. There's the idea. Prepare your minds for action. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home. There's this eager expectation. There's a knowledge that the master is going to come home. I'm not going to live however I want during this time. I am, I am to live a particular way knowing the master is returning. He's going to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open up the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he, the master, will come and serve them. Look at verse 40. You also must be ready. Be ready. For what? For the Son of Man. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I love how the message the translation of the message speaks of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It says it this way. So roll up your sleeves and get your head in the game. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Live ready. Ready to receive all that God has for us, the unveiling of Jesus. And be sober-minded. Think clearly about these things. Someone who's drunk falls under the influence, falls under the sway of that substance, and it impacts their thoughts and behavior. Be sober-minded, Peter says. All of this is communicating that we're to have a way of life that is shaped by this eager expectation that is placed in Jesus, this hope that is placed fully, completely in the grace that will be ours at the unveiling of Jesus ready to receive all that God has. It's a new future. It's ours. Second, the difference a new identity makes. Peter goes on to say as obedient children, in light, essentially saying in light of who you are, in light of who you've become, you are now children of God, in light of this new identity that was accomplished through Jesus, you don't live, don't act, don't behave like you used to, He says, don't be conformed to the passions, these longings, these desires of your former ignorance. In other words, you didn't know any better then, but you do now. You've been made new. And so walk out this newness. Be who you are now, obedient children. Something similar is said in Romans chapter 12. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's just talked about the beauty of the gospel The beauty of what Jesus accomplished. And then in chapter 12, he says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, in light of all that I've just said, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your very selves, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's your reasonable response to the reality of God's mercy. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's this metamorphosis. Be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is how you're to live now, is what Paul was saying to the Romans. And and that's what Peter is saying. In view of this new identity as children of God, now live, live out your new identity. And there's warning here. He says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, which means it can happen. You can fall prey, to these old passions again. Every one of us in this room can fall prey to them. But there's also encouragement and equipping here. It doesn't have to happen that way. Be who you are, obedient children of God, a way of life now that is shaped by God's character, shaped by who he is. Be who you are, a people of God, who are shaped by who he is, his character. And and that's where Peter goes next. Look at verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So here, Peter encourages these churches to whom he's writing, and now we are being encouraged, That our life would be shaped by God's character, who he is. We just read of his holiness. We'll read in a moment of his justice and of his sacrificial love. So church, we need to let the reality of who God is shape our lives, our behavior. First, let's look at the holiness of God. We just read it in verses 15 and 16. God is holy, which means he's completely other. He's perfect in all his ways. He has no equal, he has no rival. And the holiness of God, it's emphasized throughout the Bible. I mean, isn't it? If you read the story of redemption, you see that you cannot approach God any old way you want. He's prescribed a way for us to approach him. And especially as we read the story of Israel, he prescribed a way for them to approach him through sacrifice. And we we gain a knowledge of why and what that leads to and what that's all pointing to in Jesus, but it's telling us something about God. He is holy, and we are not. We're broken. We're sinful. So how then can a sinful people approach a holy God? He makes a way for that to happen. And if you read um, what the angels around the throne of God are crying, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. There's this There's this threefold emphasis, which is like an exclamation point, really, at the end of what they're saying. They're emphasizing this attribute, this characteristic of God for good reason, because he's holy. That's that's who he is. It's what he is. He's In God's holiness, if you remember Isaiah, when he encountered God in this vision of God enthroned, seated on a throne, And he cried out, woe is me, I'm undone. Oh, I'm done for. I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, how could I be in the presence of such a holy God? And yet here we are in 1 Peter chapter 1. We are invited, we are called by this holy God to reflect his holiness. Interesting. Because children reflect their parents. We're in a new family. You are part of a new family now. You're called to live a radically different life than the one you used to live. It's not going to be normal for others to see you doing this. It will not be applauded by everyone around you, and it will not be easy. But it is the calling on your life. We talked about this, this new future that we have and this posture of saying, I'm ready to receive all that you have for me, God, all the grace that will be mine that is revealed in Christ Jesus when he returns. But here the posture is one of saying, I'm ready, God. I'm ready to reflect who you are to a watching world. As obedient children, I'm ready to walk in holiness. We won't do this perfectly, but are we striving? Are we striving to reflect the reality that God is present in our lives? Do we want to live a life set apart for God? Every area of our life, his holiness should shape us. Also, his justice should shape us. Look at verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So while you're living as sojourners, as pilgrims in this this place that is not your long-term home, Um, conduct yourselves in a particular way. Live in the fear of God. Well, how, How can Peter say that? Are we supposed to live in the fear of the Lord? I mean, I thought John said perfect love casts out all fear. I mean, what's the deal here? Well, he's talking about God's righteousness. He's saying don't forget that you're calling on the just judge of all, and he is impartial. He is fair. He's unbiased. He doesn't take bribes. So live in fear. Live with in awe and a deep reverence and appreciation for God. Don't live indifferent or unconcerned about his desires for your life. Don't do that. You won't get away with it if you do. I mean, did you know that it's good to fear God? Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But we don't don't fear God in that he's going, it's not a paralyzing fear. It's actually an equipping fear life-shaping fear. It's a reverence and awe that drives us. We, we understand that he is completely set apart and holy, that he's just in all of his ways. And his justice is a good thing, but it also could shake us a little bit. And then we see his love. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Knowing you were ransomed Ransom means redeemed or rescued, bought out, bought back. It's like purchasing someone out of slavery or releasing a prisoner of war out of captivity. I mean, that's the idea here. Jesus himself said in Mark 10, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came, to give his life as a ransom, to purchase us out. Out of what? out of our brokenness, out of our sin, out of this way that has been inherited from our forefathers. And he's brought us out of a meaningless, empty place of despair, but he brings us into a place of significance and purpose and value. That's what he does. And he does this not with perishable things like gold or silver, but through the precious blood of Christ. And if you notice the language of verse 19, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The language is actually reminiscent, again, of that Passover feast, the Passover lamb in the story of Israel's exodus out of Egypt. Again, why does Peter keep doing this? Why does he keep going to the the story of Israel? Well, it's because he's helping the church understand their identity. He's helping the churches to whom he's writing understand who they are. And if you remember, last week we talked about how important it is to understand who we are in Christ Jesus. He's helping the church also see how their story fits into the greater story, the narrative of redemptive history. He's helping them see how Jesus is the true Passover lamb and what it means for their life. And I hope you're beginning to see that more and more. It's a way of life shaped by God's character, who He is, ready to reflect who He is. We have a new future. We have a new identity. And finally, the difference a new promise makes. Where does he go next? Look at verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So Peter all of a sudden uses a farming illustration about seed that perishes and seed that doesn't. And then he quotes Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8. It talks about all flesh is compared with grass and its glory like a flower that withers. But in comparison to that, the word of the Lord remains forever. It's permanent. And then in verse 25, we see that this word that Peter's referring to is the good news that was preached to you. This is the announcement of Jesus. It's the gospel. The word is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Jesus, our king the Christ this is new covenant promises new promises established through the death and resurrection of Jesus and Peter's making a comparison everything else withers and fades but not this not the word of god not the gospel not these new promises that are found in Jesus and then he uses a metaphor with milk milk becomes this metaphor for the word of god look with me in chapter 2 verse Two, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Again, milk is this metaphor for those promises that are found in Jesus, the word of God. And it's yours to rest in and return to again and again. But church, are you? Are you turning to the gospel again and again and again? You don't ever want to move away from it. You will never outgrow it we are always finding new facets of the gospel that we stand in awe of. And even those that we've already been made aware of, we we celebrate again and again and again. Oh, You hear it in songs. We do it with communion. Why do we do this so often? To proclaim, to celebrate, to remember, to center our lives once again on the finished work of Jesus for for our sake. So we rest in it and we return to it again and again. You don't ever want to move away from it. Have you ever seen a newborn baby and what they're capable of when they're hungry? This is the illustration that Peter uses. That baby returns again and again to what nourishes and satisfies and somehow knows how to get there. Have you tasted the goodness of God in Jesus? If you have, you're going to want more. Have you tasted the goodness of God? Do you have a growing appetite for more? If so, it's a sign of growth. It's a sign of health. If there's no appetite, if there's no desire growing in your heart for the word, for the gospel, to understand Christ and all of his beauty and glory, then then let that be a flag, a red flag. That maybe there's something that is unhealthy going on in your life. Is there a growing appetite for these things, for God's word primarily? Because we are called to a life that is shaped by God's word, shaped by the gospel of his son, the good news of Jesus. And what Peter is now saying is in the midst of this insecure and unstable world, we have these promises that are found in Jesus. They are ones of permanence and power, and these promises now produce a new lifestyle in those who embrace it. What is the lifestyle? it produces a lifestyle of love look at verse 22 of chapter 1 love one another earnestly deeply and that implies the greatest effort that you can give with every muscle strained with intensity and fervency and sincerity it's saying i'm ready i'm ready to give i'm ready to spend myself if we, cho- if we choose to hold on to the love that we've received in Christ Jesus, we have to let go of other things. If we choose to walk in this kind of lifestyle, we have to let go of other things. And they're found in verse one of chapter two. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, all envy and all slander. Put them away. You, you can't hold on to those things and love at the same time. A way of life shaped by the permanence and power of God's word. I'm ready to receive all that you have. I'm ready to reflect who you are. And I'm ready to give love. I have a new future, a new identity, and new promises that I'm holding on to. Local church, if we're going to move forward, if we're going to grow as followers of Jesus. These are the things we need to look to. This is what we need to set our hope fully on. The grace that will be ours at the unveiling of Jesus. What difference does Jesus make in our lives? What what difference does Jesus make in your life? The only reason we have any hope for a new future. The only reason we can walk in this new identity. The only reason why we have these new promises is because of Jesus. He makes all the difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for 1 Peter chapter 1. Lord, we thank you so much for what we've learned here. Lord, we pray that we would walk it out, that you would teach us now, by your Spirit, how to live in the good of what we have seen in Scripture. We don't want to leave it right here. We don't want to just walk away unchanged. We truly want to be shaped by these things. Would you, Lord, shape us individually and corporately by these truths? And that might require the stepping away from things that we've been doing that we didn't know were wrong. I'm sure that will require that. That will require us owning up to things and walking in repentance and expressing forgiveness. That will require a lot from us. But Lord, you empower us to do it. So help us, Lord. Help us to see your empowerment and your grace to walk out the calling that you've placed on us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.